Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. NBA free agency is here. The trading season already fast and furious. I'm Mark Carmen, bringing in Ian Levy, our senior NBA editor, editor for Fansided.com. I have been entertained. Let me just say that before we get into it with Ian. Jimmy Butler, I didn't think he was leaving Chicago. The Bulls tend to sit with their guys until the last second, but they made the, the big move, so I guess we can start there. Uh, sending him up to Minnesota, who's not really in contention for a championship. Everybody knows that, but I guess it's time to make the playoffs after 13 years not making the playoffs. Uh, Ian, what did you think of this move uh, from both a Minnesota and a Chicago standpoint? Let, let's start with how you saw it from the Timberwolves' viewpoint. I think it was a great move for the Timberwolves. I mean, um, clearly they didn't, uh, they didn't value Levine very much. Um, I'm not sure there was somebody at number seven who was really going to be a huge difference maker for them uh, in the next couple of years. And uh, Levine, you know, having the injury, that obviously raises question marks about his value going forward. So they saw a chance to, to jump on a, a star player, and, um, you know, they, they got one. I think he's going to really help them next year. Obviously, he shores up their defense. He's familiar with Tom Thibodeau. Um, you know, there's some minor concerns about overlap with Andrew Wiggins. They play similarly on offense. They create a lot of their own uh, offense out of the pick and roll. So there's some, you know, a little bit of redundancy there, and neither one is an exceptional spot-up shooter. Um, but there's also the argument that, you know, Butler can uh, sort of help Wiggins grow into um, his skill set. And um, because they're similar, you know, Butler can sort of uh, coach him up on, on uh, some of the ways that he's um, not lived up to his, his potential over the first couple of years. So, yeah, I think it's a huge win for Minnesota. Do you look at them as a lock playoff team? Um. See, that's the thing. Like, you can't even say definitively, and that, that's why it, it kind of – I don't think they gave up a ton, so it, it makes sense. But if you – if say, Markkinen turns out to be an all-star player, then that trade's going to look bad. I think it will look slightly more even if Markkinen turns out to be an all-star player. I think they are probably – I think they're significantly better than they were last year. Whether they're a playoff team, it's still kind of tough sledding. Um 
you know, it'll depend on what else Denver uh, is able to do this off season. They, their draft was kind of disastrous. It seemed like they were um, making some moves for a deal that fell through. And then they were kind of left with these pieces that didn't really fit. Um, and, you know, I guess it depends on the Clippers. If they lose Blake Griffin and, and sort of fall apart, there's another playoff spot that opens up. Um, remains to be seen what else Portland does this off season, if they're able to improve. Uh, you know, if Utah loses Gordon Hayward and, and they sort of have to take a step back, there's potentially another playoff spot that opens up too. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I would expect the Timberwolves to be much better this year. I'd expect them to be competitive for a seven or eight playoff spot. Um, as far as being a lock, I think it kind of depends on, on the landscape around them and what happens, you know, like with Utah and the Clippers and Denver. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so better, but maybe a year or so still away depending on the development of Towns and, and Wiggins and how they mesh together with with now Jimmy Butler. Okay, so here, if you're the Boston Celtics, don't you have a better package than what Minnesota gave? And isn't Jimmy Butler the best player on your team? Or do they have this grand, we're going to get Paul George and Gordon Hayward plan that somehow is going to work out, even though the Pacers reportedly are asking for a ton for Paul George? Why, why if you're Danny Ainge, do you not add in Jimmy Butler? Um, I think the issue is, and I'm not, uh, I'm not perfect on my uh, salary cap stuff, but I think my, my understanding is that it would be much harder for them to get two stars if they had traded Butler, uh, if they had traded for Butler on draft night, that uh, because of the way the financial stuff works, um, they need to sign Hayward first. And then they would be able to trade, um, you know, for either Butler or George. So I think that's one of the reasons, you know, that the Celtics didn't pull the pull the trigger on a on a Paul George trade on draft night. Um, you know, it's I don't think it's necessarily just that the Pacers have been asking too much. I think whenever this deal goes down, I think Boston has to um, has to sign Hayward or you know miss out on him first before they're able to pull the trigger on that second deal. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think. Uh, I think Paul George and Jimmy Butler are pretty uh, comparable in terms of their overall value. And so um, yeah, I, I would, would have been surprised if Boston couldn't have uh, came in with a better offer uh, than what Minnesota did. But I'm not sure that would have been better for Boston, you know. Uh, if they if they really are able to to sign Hayward and then land Paul George, I think that's probably better than than uh, you know swinging early for Jimmy Butler. If if Ainge pulls that off, then hats off, bow down the whole thing. But that seems a, like a pretty long putt at, at at bare minimum right now. Did you like trading out of the one and getting the three and taking Tatum, who Ainge is saying is the best player in the draft, or who they thought was the best player in the draft, and then getting the extra pick? Not really. I mean, uh, Fultz to me was much more interesting as a prospect. Being a point guard, uh, sort of potentially being sort of really unique and, and kind of transcendent in his skill set at that position, um, and knowing that there are not a lot of um, – you know, next year's draft class is supposed to be terrific, but it's really light on point guards. Next year's draft is the year that you get a big man. Um, and so for Boston, I, I don't know, I probably would have rather had faults. I think Tatum will be nice, but I think he's a high floor, lower ceiling kind of guy compared to fault. I think Tatum will have a nice career. He'll be around for 12 years. He'll score 15, 20 points a game. Uh, but I don't think he'll ever sort of have faults overall value. And a couple of the statistical models that we looked at, um, somebody ran one at Nylon Calculus that sort of projected the probability that different guys would be better than faults, different guys that the Celtics could have picked. 
And I think the odds that Tatum turns out to be a better player than Fultz were maybe like 35% or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's possible they know something that we don't. But I, I think, for me, I probably would have rather just kept Fultz. Who uh, do you think did the best in the draft? If you like, Let's just go top ten. Did you like the Lakers going with Lonzo Ball? I, I mean, I, to me, Sacramento lucked out with the Aaron Fox, and I hate that he ended up in basketball Siberia. I'd love to see that guy playing somewhere where we'd actually see him a little more often. I think the Bulls, I mean, I'm watching a lot of marketing tape. I like him. That's, and I also wonder, like, how does Malik Monk slip out of the top ten and end up with the Hornets? Um, that, that, to me, was a surprise. Yeah, there were a few surprises up there. Um, I think the Lakers, I don't know, it's sort of hard. In, uh, the the move for me, I think, would have been to keep D'Angelo Russell. I think him and Lonzo Ball would have worked really nicely together. All of the, the sort of draft scouting reports that I've read have implied that Ball is not, while he may be terrific and may be fantastic and may sort of be a star, he's probably not going to be a point guard in the, in the way we sort of think about it traditionally. Uh, that in the, half, in the half court, he's not super athletic and his handle's not great. He didn't, have, he didn't do a great job in college against college defenders, uh, sort of beating his man off the dribble, creating his own shot, collapsing the defense. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I think having Russell as a safety net where they're sort of complementing each other, they can both handle the ball, they can both space and shoot from the outside, and then a lot of ball's value in the NBA is going to come as a spot-up shooter, as a secondary ball handler, um, and especially as an off-ball cutter. He was really, really smart about finding seams in the offense when other players were holding the ball. So, um, But I get it. You know, they think they're going to get LeBron James and Paul George, and they had to make that move for Lopez to clear cap room. So, um yeah, I like the Kings. It's the same kind of thing, uh, I think, as you were hinting at. You know, I think they had a great draft. De'Aaron Fox, I think he's going to be very good. Taking a swing on, on Harry Giles was sort of a good move towards the end of the first round. I think Justin Jackson will definitely help them next year. I don't think he's a future star, but, you know, sort of a good complimentary player. The problem with the Kings is always you see these good players and you see them getting value, but you don't necessarily trust the organization to make good on it and to deliver, you know, development and a stable situation for those guys. So, um, yeah, hopefully things work out for the Kings. Those three guys uh, who I really like um, and would like to see them do well, would like to see the Kings turn it around a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I think Phoenix did well. Josh Jackson's a nice fit for them. I think they're really happy to see him slide to four, not have to trade up. Um, obviously, the Sixers getting faults. They're in a terrific position. Tons of cap space this year, so they're going to be able to add some veterans to to sort of complement that core and um, you know help them really take off in the short term without having to you know sort of lock into trying to be competitive. Um, you know, immediately. So, yeah, I think lots of teams really did well in the draft. Would you have taken Josh Jackson if you were the Celtics, despite him canceling a meeting after you flew cross-country to see the guy? I mean, to me, you're talking about high ceilings, low floors. I mean, Jackson's a little more volatile, I, I guess, uh, than Tatum, but, but that guy could be a, you know, a superstar potential in, in the league for a long time. Yeah, I think his skill set, his sort of on-the-court stuff is, is more appealing to me than Tatum. Um, 
probably, I mean, certainly has a lower offensive ceiling uh, than Tatum. I think his, you know, you worry about his jump shot. He shot 37% or whatever on threes in college, but um, it was on a pretty low volume and his free throw percentage was pretty bad, which is another, uh, another kind of indicator you look at when you're trying to project how somebody will do as a shooter in the NBA. Um, but his playmaking, his ability to play defense, you know, uh, working as a weak side shot blocker, you know, he provided some, some real value for Kansas doing that. So uh, I, I think Jackson, from a pure basketball standpoint, looks like a much better prospect to me than Tatum. Not having had a chance to sort of be in a room with him or talk with him, it's hard to know how that personality stuff sort of factors in. Um you know, how teams weigh the legal troubles he had this year and, and how that sort of factored in. So, if, you know, if that's, if that's a, a factor for Boston, I certainly don't, uh, I don't fault them. Um, but, yeah, from a pure basketball standpoint, I, I would have taken Jackson over Tatum. Yeah, let, let's move off the draft for a second here, back into the trade market. And Chris Paul basically getting what he wanted as best he could, forcing his way to Houston. Do you like the, I, the Rockets you have – Harden in his prime, so I get that you want to add on, but I don't think anybody thinks they're good enough to compete with Golden State. What did you think of this move? I mean, it was, a, it was a great move for Chris Paul. He gets to go where he wants. Uh, you know, he made sure that they had a trade package going back to the Clippers so he doesn't look like a jerk for sort of, you know, leaving the Clippers holding nothing. Um, and then he's still, you know, because he opted in, he's still holding on to this flexibility. So he'll be an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year, which means either he can sign that five-year Supermax uh, with Houston, um, or if this doesn't work, if it's a disaster this year, you know, he can potentially go somewhere else. Uh, he, uh, Wade, uh, LeBron, and Carmelo will all be uh, will all be unrestricted free agents on July 1st next year. So we might see that, that banana boat team finally come together. Um, yeah, so I think it's great from, from Paul's perspective. I think the Clippers probably did as well as they could have. I mean, uh, getting anything in this situation where Paul could have just walked away for nothing, um, you know, really helps them. I think Decker is a, is a guy who could be a rotation player and a good team in a few years. He missed almost all of his rookie year and only played about 1,400 minutes last year. But, you know, he can hold his own defensively, and, and he can sort of do a couple different things on offense. So I think he'll be a useful piece. Uh, and, and Beverly and Lou Williams, they're nice pieces to hold on to if they keep Blake Griffin and they're sort of trying to stay competitive next year and, and figure out how to add another piece and get back into championship contention. But both of those guys are also on reasonable contracts. Lou Williams is, is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and uh, Beverly's contract is not guaranteed after this season. So they could probably flip both of those guys again this year if they needed to, if they you know sort of need to back into a full rebuild. So. Um, yeah, things could have been a lot worse for Houston. I don't know. I really, uh, I just, it's hard to envision Paul and Harden playing together and how that works. Um, you know, the Rockets were so dependent on Harden last year and it's tough to imagine Paul doing much sort of standing in the corner and watching Harden work. It's tough to imagine Harden sort of standing in the corner and watching Paul work. Uh, and so, you know, if they're really going to figure out a way to maximize their value, it means changing a lot about how they played um, over over the last season. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it'll be a big shift. Uh, I mean, probably always bet on talent, but uh, yeah, it, it could go sideways. I, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that it could work, wind up not working. Yeah, I, I again, I don't, uh, I, I completely agree as far as you two are going to share the ball and you're going to figure that out and. 
Chris Paul's a much better defender than he gets credit for. I mean, I guess a lot of people do talk about his defense, but your 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 parent James Harden with Chris Paul at six feet, who's getting by the way into his mid thirties. I, I I just don't see it. I I really don't. But uh, as far as the Clippers go, are you signing Blake Griffin if you're LA and trying to keep some form of competitive? team around when you don't have any draft picks and you're not really in a good you know you're not in a great position to rebuild but i i wouldn't be that i'm not that interested in blake griffin if i'm the clippers yeah i think it's a really hard decision for them i think uh even re-signing blake there's not sort of an obvious path to them go sort of going back to the the tier that they were in and, and sort of being a dark horse championship contender kind of team right um but it's hard to ignore how terrible the the franchise was for so long, and I don't, you know, them sort of backing into a rebuild where they're really going to tear it down and be bad for a couple of years. That might have different kinds of ramifications for the Clippers, given their history, than it would for you know whoever the Suns or the or the Sixers or the Orlando Magic or something like that. Um, you know, just because the history of that franchise is so dark and for so long, and they really have just had this, you know, half decade of, of sort of being super relevant and, and being one of the better teams. I don't know how willing they will be to, to give that up. And so, uh, yeah, it might be worth it for them to, to sign Blake and know that they're going to maybe top out at 50 wins and, you know, maybe losing in the second round of the playoffs with their ceiling. That might be worth it to them as opposed to going dark for, you know, four or five years while they try to rebuild. What do you think happens with Paul George? Best guess. Uh, I think he's probably going to get traded, um, I-, I would guess, by the middle of next week. Um like I said, I think the, you know, I don't have any inside information. I'm going by the same reports I'm seeing from everybody else on Twitter. But uh, my guess is the Pacers are looking for the best deal that they can get. So they're not going to trade him until they can see what Boston's final offer is. And I don't think Boston's going to make a final offer until they get a decision from Hayward. So, yeah, once that Hayward chip falls, then I think it's, you know, it's Boston. Maybe it's Houston. Um you know, the Cleveland-Denver uh, talk was interesting. I think, <laughs> honestly, probably the loser in that situation is is Cleveland. I think, um, you know, just Paul George, clean swap for Kevin Love without them adding anything else. I don't know that that gets them any closer to the Warriors than they are right now. And, um, yeah, so, and, and then for the Pacers, I think Denver's package was probably the least appealing you know if it's Juan Hernan Gomez and you know maybe Malik Beasley and maybe they get lucky in Denver will give him Gary Harris or something like that I think probably still that's a less appealing package than they would get from Boston um and then the Lakers too you know the Lakers will be circling around the Lakers package I think is probably less appealing than whatever they would get from Boston. The thing is that Boston can offer them a, a high draft pick, and I don't think they're going to get that from anybody else. They're not going to get that in a deal with Cleveland. They're probably not going to get that uh, from Houston, and I don't think the Lakers are, are going to necessarily summon that up. So it's you know uh, measuring a high draft pick and a couple starters from Boston versus maybe you know Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson or you know, a couple pieces from Denver. So, yeah, my guess would probably be Boston. 
I hope that happens, make the Eastern Conference a whole lot more interesting, at least for a year, and then we'll see where it goes. But uh, if Paul George ends up playing for the Celtics and they end up beating the Cavs, I would feel pretty comfortable if I was Boston that he would come back. But that's a huge if, obviously. Let, let's stay out east with the Knicks and Phil Jackson finally getting the pink slip or whatever. They, they mutually agreed to part ways, but let's be honest, that was a firing. That was the most stunning debacle of a guy who had enormous respect maybe in NBA history. I mean, I don't know if you thought about it that way, but I can't think of anybody who was that much revered. And, yeah, okay, it's different going from a coach to a GM, but like somebody like Michael or Magic stepping into those roles, it's a little different than a guy like Phil. And to fail as epically as he did, I, I had no idea that was going to happen. I mean, are, are you stunned by the level of patheticness that he brought to the table? for lack of a better word. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was really, it was a slow-motion train wreck. I mean, it started almost immediately. When he said uh, As soon as he was hired. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's been building. It was not like he, it was not like this all sort of fell apart in the past three months. I mean, he's, he's really been a train wreck the whole time he was there. Um, so that this, uh, the thought of, like, how his reputation has been damaged, I mean, that, that damage has been adding up over time for the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. Um, you know, he was a guy for so long who sort of had this reputation as somebody who fought outside the box and was sort of willing to experiment new things, try new things, think about basketball in a different way. Uh, but what we've seen in New York is that it, he was sort of just as orthodox as anyone else. You know, he he had a different way, but when it came right down to it, he was really just committed to his way of thinking about things. And yep. um, the idea of him as sort of somebody who tries something new, he had found something new, you know, 20 years ago that he liked, and he was sticking to that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just all of his quotes over the past couple of years, you could just sort of see how out of touch he was with – the way the game was changing, how his team should be playing. I mean, his failures were sort of in every area. I mean, he struggled at player evaluation. They made some financial mistakes, miscalculations with the kind of deals they made, um, you know, taking shots at players in the media, having issues with the coaching staff. Um, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was an all-around failure. No, no stone unturned. From Melo to, <laughs> to Joakim Noah to Derek Rose to Kristaps Porzingis, to Derek Fisher, I mean, it's a long list there. I, you, what do you think he does? He, he just goes and chills out in Montana like everyone's thinking, or does Phil Jackson work in the NBA again? He, I can't imagine any. I can't imagine anybody would give him a chance again after this, or at least a chance to do anything that's more than sort of symbolic kind of figurehead work. Although right. there was. I didn't actually read the report, but there was a headline somewhere about you know the Warriors might be interested in him. Um, but he, I mean, he also clearly seems so disinterested in the Knicks. I mean, there was talk about him, like, sleeping through pros draft prospect workouts and things like that. Um, he, didn't, he didn't seem that sort of vigorously engaged in the work. It didn't seem like it was keeping him young or anything like that. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's just going to hang out and, and read some books and, and enjoy the rest of his life away from basketball. And the other thing is people are saying, well, you know, he was just there for the money. How much money does the guy need? I mean, it's not like he was yeah. – I mean, come on. I, I, I highly doubt he'll ever touch the $12 million a year that he's going to make I mean, unless he's the worst financial manager of all time, and I don't see Phil Jackson that way. So 
it, I, I don't think it was for the money. I think it was for the ego and for something to do. And that there's a certain part of him that just loves New York. The whole money thing, I mean, come on. The guy's got to have, I'm not his financial advisor, but I'm guessing the Phil, Matt, Phil Jackson's got close to $50 million tucked away somewhere. He and he walked away. I mean, he walks away with his full salary from the Knicks. I right. think he gets paid another $24 million over the next two years. Right. So, you know, even if he's blown through his savings, he doesn't, he doesn't have to work for the next two years to, to be pretty comfortable. Right, right. What, what do you think happens with Melo? I guess he stays, right? But if I'm Carmelo at some point here, if, if Houston's willing to bring me in and I get to play with my buddy Chris Paul and take a shot at this thing with James Harden, I would think that that would – perhaps be appealing rather than playing on a, at best, I don't know, 35-win Nick team, even if they get, say, Jeff Teague? Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on who they, who they get to replace, um, who they get to replace um, Phil Jackson. I don't think, I don't know, I'm, I'm still skeptical about the idea of a buyout, even though, you know, Dolan has the cash and he could cer- certainly swallow it. And that's probably what it would take to get Carmelo to Houston. I don't think they could do the cap gymnastics otherwise. Um, and so, I, you know, a buyout could happen at any time. So uh, the Knicks are supposedly not going to make a decision on Phil's replacement until after free agency. Steve Mills, who's the GM, is going to stay on, and he's going to run things. So I think they go through free agency. Uh, Mello can kind of take a look at what happens and what the state of the team is. Um, and, you know, they could buy him out later in the summer, and, and he could go some, somewhere else then if, if it looks like it's going to be really bad. I don't think he's going to waive his no-trade clause Um I don't know. It would just be surprising. And then you know, it's hard for us to tell from the outside when we think about these things in such a, uh, from such a basketball perspective. And it's easy to forget, you know, like he's got a family and, you know, he spent so much time in New York. He might want to, you know, it might be worth it for him to suffer in, in a chaotic organization and miss a chance at a ring to, you know, be close to his kids and that kind of stuff. So. I, I get it. Life is more important than basketball, but, you only get to be in the NBA once, and for one year, if I'm him, by the way, you could also perhaps like wiggle your way somehow to Cleveland and play with LeBron, another one of your buddies. That might be a lot. I, I, I would want that experience if I was him, as selfish as it would be. Son, we're going to Cleveland for a year. I, 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 you know, I, that, that's a huge opportunity to you know, play with your friend, try to win a championship, have – have a basketball memory that is is quickly evaporating for you. That that's just how I would see it. But I'm not Carmelo, yeah. clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's suffered through a lot. I mean, clearly he's clearly he has a a pretty sturdy constitution and, to go through what he went through this, this year with Phil. So yeah, I don't know. Wherever he ends up, I hope he's happy. I hope he has a couple more years of, of playing good basketball. And, yeah. And for the record, I'd lo- I'd love to have his suffering play on a bad basketball team, live in New York, make millions of dollars, being Carmelo. Even if Phil Jackson is trying to get me forced out of town, I would take that suffering. That seems like a, a yeah. It's not a terrible life that he's living. So I don't want to throw a pity party for Melo, but. Uh, you know, come on. He's having he's having a nice time over there. Let, all right, let, let's let's wrap it up with uh, Golden State and how you see their off season unfolding. Do you see any major parts going off that team? Because it seems like Durant's going to do whatever he can to keep things copacetic, and maybe they, you know, end up being able to keep Iguodala and the whole deal. Yeah, I think uh, I think Curry will will get a nice raise. I think Durant will resign. Uh, whatever number sort of facilitates them having room for Iguodala and Livingston. 
Uh, I, I think Iguodala is probably the biggest wild card, you know, just sort of being closer to retirement, maybe looking for one more big payday. But everything seems so copacetic there. It's hard to imagine. Um, it's hard to imagine either Iguodala or Livingston walking away from that team. So my guess is they all come back. And then the really interesting thing is they've got, um, you know, like they've got these young, uh, they've got these young pieces who I think we're going to sort of start to see grow into bigger roles with the team. Uh, you know, Pat McCaw played good minutes for them in the finals, and I think he's a real solid player. I think he's going to to sort of be a bigger part of the team moving forward. Um, Damian Jones, a big center that they drafted at the end of the first round last year, spent most of the year in the D League. I think he'll maybe see some minutes this year. Um, you know, as they sort of try and experiment with their front court, and then Jordan. Bell from Oregon, who they just, I mean, straight up stole from the Bulls in the draft. They bought the pick for $3.5 million. And, um, you know, he's a sleeper. He was somebody a lot of people had on their first round boards. I think he'll be really good. He'll play some garbage time minutes for them next year and, and could end up being a really useful piece for them over the next couple of years. So I wish they're, you, they're, uh, building, they're building with youth around that core. Yeah, I wish you hadn't brought that up because of all the things the Bulls have done, the Jordan Bell thing, when you're going into a rebuild and you're making as much money as the Bulls have selling out the United Center for 20-plus years now since Michael left, and you've got one win in the Eastern Conference Finals to show for it, that is offensive to Bulls fans everywhere. At least I, that's how I see it. How, how three? I mean, come on, man. That, that, is, that is some serious, serious Jerry Reinsdorf greed. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, was, uh, it, was an ugly, it was an ugly sort of move, especially when you know, uh, releasing Rondo could have <laughs> more than more than covered that. Right. All right. Well, a fun trek around the league, Ian. Thanks for taking the the time today, and I look forward to catching up with you in a couple weeks here when everything for free agency unfolds. You're, what's the first domino? Make a prediction. The first domino to fall. You going Gordon Hayward? Or you going elsewhere? I think Gordon Hayward's probably the biggest one now just because there's so many other things connected to him, and I think he probably uh, probably decides quickly. I'm trying to think what we saw today. He's got like a meeting with um, I think a meeting with the Heat on Saturday, a yep. meeting with the Celtics on Sunday, and a meeting with Utah on Monday, and then my guess is, is he's deciding pretty quickly after that. Um, and then I think a lot of the trade pieces around there um, we'll sort of be waiting on his decision. I think uh, I would be surprised if Lowry resigns with Toronto pretty quickly. That's another one that seems like it might be uh, might be right out there. And then that throws things in the wax for the Spurs and a few other teams. But yeah, but Hayward I think is really the linchpin because I think Paul George is waiting on that too. All right, I love the free agency season. It's, it's very enjoyable. Ian, appreciate the time. Thanks a lot, Mark. Talk to you later. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save 